Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 564. Exactly like when Widow Graydon died. You saw how that family tore itself up fighting over her things. Half of them still aren't on speaking terms. Across the room, the little girl stepped close to her mother and tugged insistently on her dress. A moment later, Mary came over to the bar with the little girl in tow. Little Sill has to tend to her necessary, she said apologetically. Could we? Coat nodded and pointed to the door near the stairway. Mary turned and held out the little boy to Bast. Would you mind? Moving mostly on reflex, Bast reached out with both hands to take hold of the boy then stood there awkwardly as Mary escorted her daughter away. The little boy looked around brightly, not sure what to make of this new situation. Bass turned to face Quoth. The baby held stiffly in front of himself. The child's expression slowly shifted from curious to uncertain to unhappy. Finally, he began to make a soft, anxious noise. He looked as if he were thinking about whether or not he wanted to cry, and was slowly starting to realize that, yes, as a matter of fact, he probably did. Oh, for goodness sake, Bast, Foth said in an exasperated voice, here. He stepped forward and took hold of the boy, sitting him on top of the bar and holding him steady with both hands. The boy seemed happier there. He rubbed a curious hand on the smooth top of the bar, leaving a smudge. He looked at Bast and smiled. Doug, he said. Charming, Bast said, his voice dry. Little Ben began to chew on his fingers and looked around again, more purposefully this time. Mom, he said. Mama, mama? Then he began to look concerned and make the same low, anxious noise as before. Hold him up, Foth said, moving to stand directly in front of the little boy. Once Bast was steadying him, the innkeeper grabbed hold of the boy's feet and began a sing-song chant. Cobbler, cobbler, measure my feet. Farmer, farmer, plant some wheat. Baker, baker, bake me bread. Tailor, make a hat for my head. The little boy watched as Quoth made a different hand motion for each line, pretending to plant wheat and knead bread. By the final line, the little boy was laughing a delighted, burbling laugh as he clapped his hands to his own head along with the red-haired man. And that's the page! I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. Uh, this is exactly how children react. <laughs> yeah. Like my, my nephew, who like is little, but like technically knows who I am, still does this with me. And he's like not quite two. And like he'll like do the thing where he's like totally okay with it. And then he thinks about it a little too hard. And then he's not okay with it. And then it's like, okay, distraction time. <laughs> yeah, this is especially true, I think, of like toddlers. If they have like fallen and hurt themselves and they're not quite sure whether they're badly hurt enough to cry. 
And my experience of it is that if the grownups around them go, oh my God, are you okay? Then the kid goes, no, I'm not okay. And they start crying. But if, if you just go, oh, you're okay, bud, here, let's sing a song. Then they forget all about it. But this is, this is really well-observed toddler behavior. And I do wonder how old Rothfuss's kids were when he wrote this section. It, it just reads like someone who spent a lot of time around kids and who really understands how they behave. I mean, it's possible to spend a lot of time around kids without actually having your own, so. It's true, but the timeline matches up. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Rothfuss had at least one small child at this time. There are two things that jump out to me on this page. The first is the rudimentary hand talking that we get because each line of the rhyme here has a hand gesture that goes to it. Hand talking is not unique to Adam culture. It's just much more central there, but certainly we have hand gestures that go with our our stories, our rhymes, uh, and even in some of our cultures, we have and our languages. There are some languages or cultures that require hand talking more than others. Not to say nothing of sign language. There's gestures that are not tied to a specific word necessarily, but they communicate an idea, and, th- and those are different from culture to culture too. Holding out a, a hand, palm first, to say like stop. Or, you know, putting up your middle finger to somebody, you know, like that, that's cross-cultural. Lots of different people know what that means without having to speak the same language. But I do think you're right, Nick, that there is, there is a reason why this rhyme with, with the accompanying hand gestures comes right after Quoth has started to learn 8M hand talk. And the second thing I want to talk about is that the boy uh, sees through Bast's glamour. Or is unaffected by it because he looks at Bast and he says, dog, because he recognizes that Bast, as we've established, who does not wear pants, is furry. So he he sees the true version of Bast, which uh, does possess some fur, and he, for which he correctly says dog. He's not freaked out about it, but to him, Bast looks like a creature and he says dog, which is his word for creature. I also got that idea. But I feel like like it's not it's not a crackpot, but it's a chipped pot. It's not explicit, but I want it to be true. <laughs> yeah, nor should it be explicit because it would be weird to go into this boy's head. But I like the idea that a young child who has no preconceptions cannot be glamored, perhaps because they have no preconceptions or because they they see the world the way it really is anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, has this idea come up in in other parts of the book that kids are not affected by fae glamour? No, we haven't really encountered many children outside from child quoth, certainly not this young. So this would be a new idea. Yeah, and I feel like children will develop preconceptions pretty quickly. And by the time that happens, the glamour will work on them. So by the time kids are really, really well able to communicate what they are seeing and hearing properly, chances are they'll also have some preconceptions by then and they'll be affected by the glamour. Do you think that the kid has any idea that Bast is his dad? We don't know if Bast is his dad, but there's certainly some hints about it. Uh, I don't think so. I think that we'd have, there'd be a stronger reaction uh, from the kid if he did. I think that it's incidental if true. Certainly the kid doesn't seem to be bothered. Do you think that she handed him off to Bast for any other reason than she needed someone to hand him off to and Bast was closest? I don't. I mean, uh, she might have picked Bast over Quoth, but I don't I don't think it's really that much of a thing. Because, like, there's, there's a world in which she's, like, 
this guy is my unacknowledged baby daddy. I'm going to tweak his nose a little bit by handing him his bastard son to deal with because that's the first time in his life he'll ever have had to deal with him in any way. I think it's more like she had the option of either passing the kid to Quoth or Bast and she chose Bast because she's more familiar with him. Like, I think that's really, that's it. It's really not on the page. We do know that she sent him letters. That's the only thing that's in the text that has, has anything to that effect. And of course, on the next page, Quoth uh, gets in a dig at Bast's expense. If this was a movie or a show, this is an, a situation where the performance would speak volumes. The subtext of the performance would would say one way or another because the text here is not interested in addressing that at all. Anything else we're interested in addressing on this page? Only that she makes, if she was picking who did she think would be better able to handle her anxious toddler, she picked wrong because Bast has no idea what to do with the child and Quoth does. Yeah, I would, you know. Yeah, I mean, how would you know though? I would have picked Quoth. Yeah, like yeah, but you also like you you know more things about Quoth than I bet that lady knows. Right, but like, I think that everybody in town knows these guys well enough to maybe make like if I know two guys and one of them is a dependable, friendly bartender who offers me an occasional free cup of cider, and the other is a wastrel and a f- boy, like a known boy slut around town, knocking up farmers' daughters left and right. I would leave my kid with the first guy, not the second guy. I mean, maybe you have some preconceptions about those two roles that need to start. I don't know. But in this case, those preconceptions are correct. Yeah. I also, <laughs> to be honest, I kind of think of it as the kind of thing like when you're a tired parent, you kind of don't care. Like as long as they're... <laughs> no, I'm, like, I'm serious. Like someone to... As long as they're human and they can stop it, your kid from dying. <laughs> the kid will not die in the next five minutes. I just have to help the other kid pee. I don't care. Yeah. I, exactly. I Exactly. That's been me, right? I've been like at a at a gathering with a person with a baby, just like chatting with them, and they're like, "Oh, here!" And then like they walk away, and I'm like, "What just <laughs> happened?" And I'm terrified. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that's a a verisimilitudinous interaction. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And it's also not like Dad isn't in the room because he is. He's just talking. Yeah, to precisely. Yeah. Well, he's also like he's further. He's physically further away. Yeah. This also might be a situation where it's like the dad is totally useless. We could read into this all we want. I think it's probably what I suggested, where she's just like the closest adult is taking this baby. I ain't give a crap. You know. It's also like probably small town vibe. You know, someone who is a stranger is less of a stranger in a town like this than they would be in the big city. So it's kind of like yeah, less of a risk to leave your child with them. Today's letter is from Sarah from London, who writes on Edro and other bits. Hi, all. I discovered your podcast during 2020 when I was able to drive to work rather than take public transport, privileges for vital key workers. And it was brilliant to fill my two to two and a half hours driving every day. Yikes. I've composed many letters in my mind, but you were so far ahead that it wasn't worth saying. But I'm currently listening to your discussion of the familiarity of the command Edro, and now I can go back to one of those things I wanted to say then. When Quoth is being introduced to Dayok, I think, correct me if I've misremembered, they have a bit of a, they have an exchange at your service, at yours and your family, which I'm convinced is Rothfuss doing a bit. It's what they say over and over in The Hobbit, where the dwarfs turn up at Bilbo's for tea. And it's relevant to today's episode because Edro is one of the commands Gandalf uses to try to open the minds of Moria. Anyway, nice to finally speak to you. Signed, Sarah from London. 
P.S. I do 16th century reenactment, and you are absolutely right that everyone would wear a knife for eating, food prep, and other small tasks. It's often a big shock for our 21st century visitors that quite small children have a knife and know how to use it. P.P.S. Also going back a ways, but some of my good friends are fripperers. That's all we get about the fripperers. (laughs) (laughs) I forget what a fripperer is. I hope their frippery is going. I think only they're allowed to call each other that. Oh, that's their word. I'm sorry. I, I will use the correct terminology if only someone tells me. <laughs> yeah. So Sarah, please remind us what a fripper is. But thank you for writing in. It's uh, an absolute joy to hear from you. Uh, I think I was listening to the episodes I was uh, absent for. And I think the first time it came up, you didn't mention uh, Edro being related to Gandalf. And I nearly pulled my hair out. But I think you eventually did mention it, Jeremy. So I'll uh, my hackles will lower. I don't actually think I made the connection that that's literally a word he says. It just sounds like something he would say. Oh, well, in that case, let me make it here. And I would have had I been present. It's literally one of the magic words he says to try to open. It's even in the movie, which I know as a fake geek boy, you haven't read the book. I have read the book. I just don't like it. Uh, fake geek boy. He In the movie, he goes, Edro, he amen. Edro, he amen. Or something like that. So it's it's even in the version of the story that you you, you know what? He does do that. You're absolutely right. In that case, I do think that these are Rothfuss's cheeky little nods to Tolkien. I think that's completely correct. That's nice. That's a nice touch. I like that in the book. Hondo P. What geek could help themselves, truly? I feel like I have to like leave the room and go tell Jeff this immediately because he's such a big Lord of the Rings nerd. And he would probably be really mad at me for like missing that. But, then, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, he's going to start juggling plates in the kitchen <laughs> you'll have to catch them yeah it's it's right that jeff not tolerate that kind of frippery uh, so it's a person who deals in old clothes by the way i googled it and uh we will deal with old podcast clothes on tomorrow's page of the way, way.